Efoye la Marguerite. Well, that is my weak stab at French. But it is a game that has French origin to it. Many of you uh, probably have heard of it. Some of the younger, I am not exactly sure. But this game was a game that if you had affection for someone or you like someone and tried to determine whether they had affectionate feelings back for you, you might take a daisy and say something like, she loves me. She loves me not. That's what that means, all right? So as we think about that, one person having this sense of affection for someone else and wondering whether they return that affection or not, obviously us guys would be picking daisies saying, she loves me, she loves me not. Ladies, you're probably much more apt to pick daisies to begin with and then say, he loves me, he loves me not. And yet, as we look at Scripture, we find that there were those who had questions and doubts on whether God really loved them or not. Let's see if I can get that in there, because I might use that a little bit later. And the question was, could God and does God really love me? Does he love me? Does he love me not? So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Malachi chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the thought of questioning God's love this morning. Questioning God's love. Malachi chapter 1. Remember verse number 1 is a pronouncement. It's an oracle. The word of the Lord to his people through Malachi. The word Malachi actually means my messenger. And so God is sending his message through his messenger, Malachi. In Malachi chapter 1 verse number 2. The Lord... Speaking, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you ask, how have you loved us? The Lord replies, wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says we have been devastated, but we will rebuild The ruins, the Lord of armies says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say, the Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. And with that, let's pray together. And God, would you uh, speak to us today? Father, would you challenge us to be your people and to hear your voice, and may we rest in your love today, in the powerful and awesome and wonderful name of our Savior, the one who is the lover of our soul, Jesus, we pray, amen. As we look at the book of Malachi, it was written about a hundred years after the Babylonian exile. Remember in 586 BC, between 605 and 586, the Israelites were captured and carried off to Babylon. And then around, uh, around 538, 539, they were allowed to go back under the Persian uh, leadership. They were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And in the hundred years between about 530 and 430, we find that 
the, the temple was rebuilt. Now, it didn't have the glory of Solomon's temple, but the temple was rebuilt. The people were united again. No longer was there the ten tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south. The people came back and they were one people rooted together. And they rebuilt the walls. Nehemiah in the book of, uh, of rebuilding the walls around the city. And yet, over the hundred years while these things were taking place, the people of Israel just grew a, a, on a spiritual trajectory downward. They were walking with spiritually stagnant walk, and they were worshiping with apathy. So with a stagnant spiritual walk and apathetic worship, the Lord then is going to speak through Malachi to his people. And, and, and you have to wonder, how is God going to respond to these people who for a hundred years have kind of just slid, 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 and now don't really have a heart for the Lord at all? Is he going to come at them with a, a the thunderous voice and shake them to the bones? Is he going to come with a strong hand and, and destroy them or wipe them out? Well, that's not what happens. But God does want his people to recognize and receive his love. And that really is the essence of what we talk about. God wants us to recognize and receive his love in our lives. So as we think about that, let's think about three truths, three points as as we jump into Malachi. First off, we find God's love is expressed. God's love is expressed. He begins in verse number two, I have loved you. I have loved you. It, it's that, that, that picture. It's not, a, it's not a, he loves me, he loves me not. God is speaking to people who for the last hundred years have slowly and certainly moved away from him. Their heart hasn't been right. They've not been in the game. Spiritually stagnant walk, spiritually apathetic worship. And God's first words are, I love you. One commentator said it this way. As, as you look at the tense of this, this Hebrew, he says it's as if God is saying, I have loved you, I do love you, I will love you. God is expressing love to his people. And as he expresses love to his people, it really shows the condition of their heart. So we see God's love expressed. This is not a new message, though. God's love has been expressed throughout all of the Bible. God's love is expressed in the Old Testament through words and through deeds. God showed his love. And though there's many passages that we could look to in the Old Testament to think about God's love, I want us to think about one word and four verses. The word is the the Hebrew word hesed. And the word often in our King James or New King James Bible is translated mercy. In Psalm 23, where it says, surely goodness and mercy. There is that word hesed in Hebrew. The word we just take to mean mercy, but in the Hebrew, it means much more than that. It could mean loving kindness or tender mercies, this affectionate love, a covenantal love, a faithful love. So it's not just mercy in the sense that God feels sorry for us and has mercy on us. No, the picture is, is God has a robust, 
faithful, expressed love and loving kindness that he shows to his people. So when we look at passages, often in the Old Testament, that are translated like, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, the picture is, is that is a picture of God's faithful love. So that God's goodness and his faithful, unfailing love is going to follow us. But I want us to think about four instances where the, the picture of God's faithful love is shown and expressed. First is in Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15, the children of Israel, you remember the book is called Exodus because they're exiting from, from Egypt and they're moving into the, the promised land, hopefully, but they're not quite there yet. Matter of fact, they leave Egypt And as they're leaving Egypt in Exodus chapter 14, the Red Sea is in front of them. We find that the army of Egypt is behind them. And you remember Moses holds up his staff and says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord parts the water and the children of Israel pass through the water. And then Egyptian, the Pharaoh's army begins to follow. And then the horse and rider is cast into the sea and the Lord destroys them. And then in Exodus chapter 15, there's this awesome song of praise. There's this wonderful tribute of to God and his goodness and his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy and his love. And as the people are proclaiming in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 13, it says, with your faithful love, you will lead the people. So the picture is, is during the good times of life, we need to remember God's faithful love. That's the good times. But we see another picture And that picture is in Numbers 14. And in Numbers chapter 14, this time, it is not a great moment. It's a horrific, terrible moment. The children of Israel have spent, have sent 12 spies into the promised land. And 10 of them came back with the message, look, I mean, they're way too big in the promised land. They're, they're giants over there. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And we're not going. We're not going into the promised land. They will kill us. We're not going to go. And remember, Joshua and Caleb came back and said, look, man, they, they, there are giants there, and we might look like grasshoppers, but we've got God on our side, and we can do it. But the people refused to go. And God was getting ready to kill Israel. But in Numbers chapter 14, verse number 18, Moses speaks back to the Lord and says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Remember God's love in the good times, but remember God's love in the bad times. When you blow it and you miss up, when you sin and you stray, remember God still is faithful and shows abounding love. The third instance is in Lamentation chapter 3. And again, man, there's so many passages, but I just wanted to pick out some random passages to, to let you see in the good times and in the bad times. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah is writing a lament. And he's writing a lament because the children of Israel are getting carried out of Jerusalem and Israel into Babylon. Okay, this is preceding uh, the, the time when they've come back. Jeremiah is watching the city fall. And it's a lament. He is crying and weeping. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And as he, he watches uh, the, the, the children of Israel getting carried off, he says in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 22, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. What's he saying? We recognize God's love in the hard times. In the good times, 
in the bad times, in the hard times. Some of you may be going through a hard time today. Jeremiah is watching the children of Israel get carried off. And oh, what a gut-wrenching time this is. What a horrific time. They know 70 years they'll be in Babylon. God's love expressed in the good times, the bad times, the hard times. But then over in Jeremiah chapter 31 in verse number 3, the Lord here speaks, and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Here's the picture. God loves us in the good times, and he loves us in the bad times, and he loves us in the hard times, and ultimately he loves us all the time. That's the beautiful picture. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I don't know about you, but, but when you see the word everlasting in Scripture, it, it shows us and reminds us God doesn't take a day off. Everlasting means everlasting. God doesn't have a bad day where we have to pick one and think, oh, does God love me today or does he not love me today? Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Is he grouchy with me? God's love for his people never changes and it never fails. Now, our love can you know, I mean, when, when I was a kid, you know, I, I mean, I love my brothers, but, you know, one minute we're slugging each other, and then we're sent to our rooms, and then 15 minutes later, it's like, hey, man, I get out of my room, and I'm with my best friend, my brother again, you know what I'm saying? So, so you, you, you watch that go through, through life, and even, even in my own kids, they, they get in a tussle, and then the next thing you know, they find something to do, and, and they're all, everybody smiles, and we're moving forward. The picture is God's love for us never, ever, ever changes. And he's expressed that love. I love to receive cards and notes and have saved many. So for the last 20, 25 years as a pastor, when someone has written a note of encouragement or appreciation, those kinds of things, I throw it in a box and, and then I save them. And so every once in a while, I'll go through boxes and, and look back through notes and remember times and uh, of, of when you you know, helped or prayed with somebody or encouraged somebody on through. It, it really, it's, uh, it's just something, I'm a, I'm a words person. I use lots of words, and, and I like to receive words in return. So that's one of the things that I have done. So I have, in my office, I have boxes of notes and cards that people have sent me over the years. I also save cards for my wife. So this past week, while it was a snow day, I went through uh, some, some old boxes that I keep in my closet and I'm just looking at this stack of cards from the time that Julie and I started dating uh, through the time that we got married. We didn't see each other every day. And, and you know, in those days you had toll calls and those kinds of things. And, and so uh, we didn't get to even talk every day. So we would, she, would, she would write notes and she did a great job. And I'd love to walk to the mailbox because, oh, you know, three or four times a week I would get a card uh, from Julie during our time when we were dating and engaged. But I've also saved the other cards that uh, she's given me, like the Valentine cards. So in, in two years, uh, she has sent me two Valentine cards. And they are the same exact Valentine card. Now, she didn't know that. But when I opened the second card, I said, did you know that you gave me that card last year for Valentine's Day? And, of course, Julie has an answer for everything. She said, well, my opinion hasn't changed. So anyway, uh, so sometimes we hear the words so much, God loves us, God loves us, that sometimes we just forget. Can I tell you, God's opinion has not changed. God loves us with an everlasting love. And because he loves us with an everlasting love, 
We can rest in that. And that is what God is wanting to do for Israel at this moment. He's wanting them to find assurance in who he is and how he loves so that they'll feel confident as they face the challenges and struggles of life. And you will feel more confident in the, in the struggles and trials of life when you have it settled. God loves me. I'm not going through this hard time because he's mad at me. God loves me. Now, as we turn to the New Testament, God's love is expressed, and this mainly centers around him sending Jesus for our sin. We know John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God showed his love by, by giving. We understand in passages like 1 John 4, 8, that God is love, or 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. Or 1 John four nineteen, we love him because he first loved us. So our love for him is to be a response, but the Bible makes it clear. God has expressed his love, and God has demonstrated that love to us in sending his son for us so that we in the New Testament, there should never be a day when we go through a a challenge or a trial and we wonder, does God really love me? God's love for me is settled. It is settled in the person and the work of Jesus and his death on the cross for me and his resurrection from the grave. Can I tell you, hard times come to everybody, but God's love needs to be settled in our life. God's love is expressed. Second thing that we find in this passage is God's love is then questioned. Notice what happens in, in this passage as, as we look. And God says, you know, I have loved you. And then notice their response. How have you loved us? How have you loved us? I like the way the Living Bible put it. The Lord says, I have loved you very deeply, says the Lord. And the Living Bible says, really? When was this? Hmm. When God expressed his love toward Israel, it really said more about Israel and how they received his love than it said about God. It shows God's faithfulness to show love and his care and concern for his people. But what it did for Israel was it revealed their hearts. Well, God, how how have you loved us? Really? When was this? It showed their hearts. Your heart is the most important spiritual tool that you humanly in your body possess. It is not your mind and how many verses you know. It's not your keen intellect and insight. It's not your strength or how tall and strong you are. The real issue is the issue of our heart. So that Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 23 reminds us to keep our heart with all diligence or to guard our heart for out of it are the issues of life. So we have to ask, As God expresses his love to us, we have to ask, where's my heart? Because that's going to have the difference on how I receive this. Now, God does answer. And how he answers is he says, look, let me show you how my love works. My love, and I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. That's not an emotional feeling. It's, I chose Jacob... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be the the leaders, the founders of my family. And as far as Esau or the Edomites that that they're, the Lord says, they're they're off. And because of their sinfulness, if you ever read the book of Obadiah, the Lord says, because the Edomites, the family of Esau, they gloated 
and antagonized when the Babylonians came in on God's people. They gloated, they antagonized, they encouraged, they mocked. The Lord said, I'm going to punish them. And the Lord says, man, I am going to flatten out your mountains. Your, your uh, inheritance is going to be given to, to desert jackals. You're going to try to restore, and you're just not going to be able to restore at all. So he's showing his love, saying, look, I, I, I was the one who called Abraham, and, and then he had Isaac, and now Jacob, and the 12 tribes, they're coming from, from you. Know that. Be assured of that. But let's... Let's think about their predicament right now and let's think about ours. Because there's many pe- reasons why people still today question God's love. And I think this can be very applicable to us today as we think about God's love. Sometimes people question God's love because God feels distant. There's this sense in which God seems distant and and far away. I, it's like I pray and, and my, my prayers are just getting to the ceiling, but they're not really penetrating. God, I'm, 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 I'm facing a challenge and Lord, I'm praying and, and Lord, it just seems like I can't hear anything. So if, if you've ever been in that circumstance or situation before where you were walking through your spiritual life and God felt like he was distant, remember Psalm 42. I'm going to turn back there, and I want to read just a couple of verses from Psalm 42. You, you know the beginning of this song. Uh, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. You remember that was a great uh, worship song that went around a few years ago. It says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all the long people say to me, Where is your God? So he's crying out. He's saying, Lord, man, just like a thirsty deer is longing for water. God, I am thirsting for you, but Lord, you feel distant. I don't understand. Slide down to verse number nine uh, of Psalm 42. He says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Boy, what words. Ever feel like God has forgotten? Ever feel like as, as you were walking through your, your day or your, str- or your trial, your struggle, that, that God seemed distant and far away? Here he says, God, why have you forgotten me? He goes on and writes, Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppressions? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, Where is your God? There's a sense, God, I don't feel your presence. God, I don't know where you are. God, what do I do? He tells us what to do at the end of Psalm 42. He says, why, my soul, are you dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. When God seems distant, find your hope and praise him for who he is anyway. That's what, that's what he says. So sometimes we might question God's love when God feels distant. If I can't feel God right now and I don't know God and my prayers aren't getting to the ceiling, does God really love me? God feels, seems distant. Second time that people often question God is when problems are rampant. 
when there's difficulty and challenges all around. And you know, for the children of Israel at this time, again, they've come back, but, but they have faced famine and hardship and they feel vulnerable. Even though the walls are up, they're still a weak nation that the surrounding nations could come in and break in and destroy them. They're vulnerable. They have faced hardship, financial hardship. There has been spiritual difficulty. We find marriages and families are falling apart all around them. Problems, problems, problems are everywhere. And God, where are you? What's going on? Remember Job, Job chapter 1. And one day, Job loses seven sons, three daughters. He loses thousands of his animals, sheep, cattle, oxen. He loses his servants. There's always a runner that comes back just to deliver bad news. And Job, after he hears the bad news of his animals, uh, his children and his animals, he cries out in Job one twenty one, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But life didn't get any easier. The devil came and struck his life. And as he struck his life, Job is sitting in an ash heap, picking boils with a piece of pottery. Problems all around. He has three friends who show up, who become part of the problem, because they just keep accusing Job of doing wrong. Even his precious wife, who I think often can get a bad rap, she tells him, curse God and die. I feel for Mrs. Job. We always just remember those words that she said, curse God and die. But you have to remember, she's just lost 10 kids. She's just watched everything in her life disappear. And the man she loves is in absolute misery. And she has a momentary lapse of faith, there's no doubt. Over in Job chapter 30, And verse number 20, Job cries out to God. And as he uh, cries out to God in Job chapter 30 and verse number 20, he says, I cry out for your help, but you do not answer me. Problems all around. God, where's your answer? Well, we ultimately know that weeping and sorrow and pain did endure for a night and for a season in Job's life. But the Lord revealed himself to Job and then blessed him and blessed Mrs. Job alongside of him so that they had new family and God was able to restore everything that they had and more. But they kept the faith. They didn't quit. Their faith wasn't perfect when they were in the fire, but they didn't quit. God seems distant. Problems are rampant. Thirdly, we often question God's love when our spiritual walk is stagnant. When spiritually we get off course, we're not in God's word, we're drifting toward the things of the world. I'm reminded of David in Psalm 51 after committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having Uriah, uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband, killed. We find that he, he cries out, you know, make me to hear joy and gladness. Create in me a clean heart. May may the bones that you broke be restored. Physically, spiritually, he was in a terrible position 
because of sinful choices he had made. He had drifted off course. He wasn't walking with the Lord anymore. And oh, how easy it is in our world today to just get sucked into the computer, the TV. We begin to lose our time with the Lord and we begin to lose our walk with the Lord and we begin to lose our worship of the Lord. And before we know it, our life is just spiritually stagnant, humdrum, boring, and we wonder, does God really even love me? Does God really even know I'm here? And can I tell you, God hasn't moved and God hasn't changed. Matter of fact, we're going to find in Malachi, I am the Lord. I do not change. God's love for you can't change. But when we face problems and lose our focus, when we wander into sin and lose our focus, or when we cry out to God and we feel like he's not in focus, we question his love. Now again, on this side of the New Testament, we're reminded in Romans 8, 38 and 39 that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, height, depth, are things present, things to come, height, depth, any other created thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So sometimes we just have to hold on to that. Like, like Psalm 42 at the end, God, I'm placing my hope in you. You are my God and my Savior, and I'm resting in that. Or sometimes we need to say, Lord, I'm repenting, and I'm coming back to you. God's love is expressed, then God's love is questioned. Thirdly, we find that God's love is demonstrated. God demonstrates his love. I want to give you just a few key words as we think about God's love and how that is expressed. First off, we find that God's love is sovereign. He very clearly says that that he is the one who chose uh, Jacob. He loved Jacob and he hated Esau. Again, this is not so much on the emotional side of, of anger and hate as it is God elected and chose Jacob to be the one to carry the Jewish line. And he did not choose Esau. Esau was free to do his own thing, and he did, and then faced God's punishment for it. God chose Jacob. It was a sovereign love. Now, there always is a question on salvation, on the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man when it comes to who, who, how it, who and how all of this works. This is what we do know for sure. This is what we do know, that God's sovereign love is what is the initial and primary mover in our life. You say, how do you know that? Well, I know that because Romans 3.10 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Now, if no one on their own seeks after God, it's got to be God's love that begins to move first. We love him because he first loved us. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead, dead in our trespasses and sin. So we find that God's sovereign love has to be the love that moves and breaks through and takes the initial move for our life. God's love is sovereign. Also, we see in this passage that not only is God's love sovereign, but God's love is protecting. That, that God's love is, is protecting his people. You have to understand, they spent 400 years in Egypt. And they were about to get wiped out and, or carried back to Egypt if it was up to Pharaoh. That they had spent 70 years in Babylon and they could have, have been destroyed while they were there. But God's protective hand was upon them and brought them back. We find in World War II that Hitler 
killed six million Jews and would have extinguished all of them. But we know from the book of Revelation that God still has a plan for the nation of Israel and for the Jewish people. And God has moved and protected, even if it's just a remnant. Then we find that God's love is faithful. God's love is faithful. And you think, a hundred years, I've watched these folks just downgrade. But God's love was faithful. His mercies were still new every morning. He was faithful to them even when they weren't faithful. His love was forgiving. He says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 7, return to me and I will return to you. And can I tell you, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if there's sin issues in your life that you can hide from everybody else. You can't hide from him. But this is what I know God says. You return to me, I'll return to you. You've lost my presence in your life, return to me, I'll return to you. You don't know Jesus, you come to me, I'll come to you. God's love is forgiving. He reaches out to people here that don't deserve his forgiveness because they've been off track. And Israel continually went through this cycle in the Old Testament. They would have these moments where they were excited about God and serving God, but they always, 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 always were on a trajectory down away from the things of God. And God was always willing to reach out with forgiveness. Return to me. I'll return to you. And God's love was secure. God's love was secure. In Malachi 3, 16, 17, he says that they will be mine. You'll be my possession, our security. You know, for us as believers today, we know that God sent Jesus and that people did exactly what they wanted. The Roman uh, leadership and the Jewish people did exactly what they wanted to do. They killed Jesus and put him on the cross. But God in his sovereign hand, they did exactly what God wanted them to do because Jesus was going to have to pay the penalty for our sin. God gave us the gift of a salvation that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as Revelation reminds us. And now God says, if you'll come to me and be one of my people, my hand of protection and faithfulness and forgiveness and security will be on you forever. And that security doesn't rest in me holding on to him, coming up here to preach and, and, and coming to church. It's not me holding on to him. But he tells us in John chapter 10 that no one can pluck us out of his hand. That's where our security comes. Our salvation is from him. Our security is from him. And so we find assurance in his love. Despite the circumstances, weeping may endure for a night. You may be in a season of weeping. But I will tell you, joy will come in the morning. God will show his love and remind you of his presence. If you don't know Jesus today, he wants to reach out to you and say, look, you can experience forgiveness and eternal life and know that you're going to go to heaven. But it only comes one way, through believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Would you receive my gift of love so that your life can be changed for eternity? You know why that's important? In Malachi chapter 1 it says, The Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. 
Do you know why we can come and worship the Lord Jesus today? Because the Lord has moved beyond Israel to reach many of us who are Gentiles who have come to know Jesus as our Savior. And we can proclaim, our Lord is great.